0: This is from a recorded talk. So the recent lunar observance day that um, has just passed was the day that our Lord Buddha uh, realized awakening, gave the first teaching and passed into parinibbana. It was the 15th lunar day of the sixth lunar month known as Visaka Puja. And this word Visaka means the sixth lunar month. And this holiday is celebrated on the 15th lunar day of this 6th lunar month. And after the Buddha's parinibbana, then we have the holiday known as Atami Puja, which is on the 8th lunar day following after we Saka Puja. And this is the day that we commemorate the cremation of the Lord Buddha's remains And the cremation of the Lord Buddha involved uh, 500 layers of quality white cloth and uh, a metal vessel and scented oil. And there was a miracle that occurred where no matter how much uh, the humans there tried to light the fire, the fire wouldn't light. Or because Venerable Mahakasapa had not yet arrived to pay his last respects to the body of the Lord Buddha. So therefore the fire would not light. But then after Venerable Mahakasapa and his retinue were able to pay their respects to the Buddha's remains, then the fire uh, lit of its own accord to cremate the remains of the Buddha. And the layers of cloth burned except for the inner layer of cloth and in that inner layer, the relics of the Lord Buddha were all gathered together in an orderly fashion. And then the site of the Buddha's cremation is marked, or was marked uh, with the building of a chedi by King Asoka, about one kilometer from where he was cremated. And there was a Asokan pillar put in there, which is now gone. And before the Buddha passed into parinibbana, then there was a wanderer who wanted to come and uh, ask a question of the Lord Buddha before he passed away. And this wanderer came, but Venerable Ananda said, no, it's not a good time to talk to the Buddha because the Buddha is close to parinibbana, So it's not a suitable time for asking questions. And this is normal for the uh, foremost upatak who is or the foremost attendant of the buddha which is venerable ananda to say no in this situation but this wanderer named Subhadda was very intent and really set his heart on paying respects to the buddha and asking questions and given this and given his conversation with venerable ananda there arose uh, some loud sounds and a disturbance there and the buddha heard this and the buddha knew already that this wander subhada had come because the buddha came to kusinara to pass into Parinibbana, and he came to teach subhada as well so the buddha with loving kindness said to venerable ananda to let the wanderer subhada come to ask his question so the wanderer subhada asked the buddha the first, second, third, and fourth types of samanas, uh, religious renunciates, do they exist in other religions, or do they only exist in the Buddha's dispensation? And the Lord Buddha answered that the first, second, third, and fourth type of samanas are exist just in the Buddha sasana, because in order to realize the levels of awakening, one must walk the path of sila, samadhi, and panya, virtue, collectedness, and wisdom, in order to see the Dhamma clearly, to see the Four Noble Truths clearly. So upon hearing this answer, the wanderer Subada felt a great level of faith in the Buddhist dispensation and wanted to ordain. But because he was a wanderer from another sect, he must uh, Out of respect for the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, he was required to endure a four-month period of probation before ordaining. And Venerable Subhada, with his high level of faith and inspiration, said, "Well, if you asked me to be under probation for four months, I would be happy to be under probation for four years." So, seeing the wanderer Subhada's faith and sincere. Intent, the Buddha told Venerable Ananda to ordain him right then and there. So Venerable Ananda shaved his head and performed the ordination ceremony for Venerable Subhadda. And Venerable Subhadda put forth great effort that night because he saw that the Lord Buddha was close to parinibbana, so he wanted to make effort, and he contemplated. Uh, looking at the clouds covering over the moon. He saw that the clouds come and go, and when the clouds cover over the moon, the luminosity of the moon is obscured. You can't see the light of the moon. And he contemplated that this is just like the mind, that the sense impressions uh, cover over the heart and obscure the brightness of the mind. And then when they pass, then the mind is... The brightness is revealed. So the mind with clinging is just like the moon covered with a cloud that covers the brightness. So he was able to bring this contemplation back to his own heart and see the moods and sense impressions covering over his own heart. He contemplated clearly to see anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, uh, stress and not self. And how all materiality and mentality is of this nature of anicca, dukkha, and anatta. And Venerable Subhadda succeeded to realize arahantship on that night. Because his parami was full already, he had built his spiritual virtues to a high degree already. And we can read in the text that Venerable Subhadda and Venerable Anyakondanya. They were siblings in a past existence and they went to offer rice. And Venerable Anya Kondanya offered rice first, preparing it in a very careful way. He was able to offer it first and he determined that, may I be the first enlightened disciple under a Buddha. And then Venerable Subhadda in that lifetime he prepared his offering of rice in a very neat and tidy way, and then he offered it after Kondanya, and he determined his heart that may he be the last awakened disciple of a Buddha. And Venerable Kondanya, as the first awakened disciple of the Buddha, he was awakened while listening to a discourse of the Buddha, the turning of the wheel of the Dhamma, the first teaching of the Buddha at the deer park at Varanasi. And the Dhamma that he understood was that all phenomena, all that which is of the nature to arise, is of the nature to pass away. And we can ask, well, what is it that uh, we refer to that which is of the nature to arise? Well, it's just all phenomena. It's uh, anything, whether material or mental, whether a tree or a mountain or other inanimate objects. It's all things, all phenomena, all rupa and nama are all of the nature to arise and of the nature to pass away. Uh, Nothing is exempt from this. All conditioned phenomena are of this nature to arise and pass. So whatever it is that arises, it is that which passes away. So seeing this venerable anyakondanya, saw the truth of not self he saw why should one cling to things as me and mine because everything arises and then passes away one can't find a self in any of it but the mind that's lost in ignorance clings to these things as self as me and mine and the mind under the influence of ignorance separates things into me and mine, you and yours, them and theirs. It separates conditioned phenomena in this way. And based on this clinging and separation, then greed arises to the extent that one behaves outside the bounds of virtue. And similarly, aversion arises, and one behaves outside the bounds of virtue. And delusion arises, and one behaves outside the bounds of virtue. And this leads to just chaos and agitation. So this greed, aversion, and delusion, it's possible to win over it one day. Even listening to the Dhamma a single time, it's possible to conquer these defilements of greed, aversion, and delusion. If this is possible, it's because that one has built on spiritual virtues, parami, in the past already. It's like a glass of water, and the glass is almost full already. Just listening once, and then one can understand clearly. Because one is built, they're parami already. So, for individuals who have been practicing and haven't seen clearly into the truth yet, they may feel, why is this taking so long? Why have I kept practicing and I haven't succeeded in seeing the truth yet? Well, it's because one hasn't built parami to the sufficient degree yet. One must have uh, patient endurance first. One must, one must build patient endurance. One must build parami first. Build up the power of faith, the power of effort, the power of mindfulness, the power of samadhi, and the power of wisdom. These are the five faculties and the five powers. So one must build them up to make them strong first. And these five powers and faculties are in the 37 wings to awakening, just like the Eightfold Noble Path, the Four Bases of Exertion, the Seven Enlightenment Factors, for instance. Therefore, we build up our parami. We build it up because greed, aversion, and delusion are are in the heart already. So we need to establish mindfulness to watch over our hearts, to watch when greed arises, when aversion arises, when delusion arises. Have mindfulness watch over the heart to watch out for these defilements. So have mindfulness to keep a lookout over the heart and have patient endurance initially. Build your patient endurance to be very strong at first, Because usually, feeling greed, one just acts on it. Feeling aversion, one acts on it. Feeling delusion, one acts on it through actions of body, speech, and mind. And one's simply lost in clinging to things as self, as me and mine, you and yours. And then one's actions of body and speech are not within the bounds of virtue. They're not under one's control. So therefore, what should one do? In the beginning, one practices dana, generosity. One enters into the Buddha sasana with generosity to know what sacrifice and sharing are like. And one sees that this sacrifice and giving allows society to exist together harmoniously. This is something that we're capable of doing because, with the sense of self being strong, then one may not want to share or give. So we need to build up our generosity, parami, and whatever happiness and fortune one has, one shares that with others. And this doesn't just have to be material things, but one can share knowledge and uh, skills and advice uh, with loving kindness to others. This is something one can do. So one practices to make generosity well established as a habit in the mind. And then having done this, then one develops sila or virtue. And a mind with sila is a mind that's being raised up to a higher level because mindfulness is there, caring for actions of body and speech. The mind sees the drawbacks of not having sila and the value and importance of having sila. One sees this clearly, and with dana and sila well-established, this is a mind that's close to that of a stream-enter. So one should walk this way, firmly establishing one's mind in generosity and virtue. Just like Anattapindika and Lady Visaka from the time of the Buddha, the two foremost lay supporters of the Buddha, foremost male lay supporter, Anattapindaka, and foremost female lay supporter, Lady Visaka. So just like them, they were well established in generosity and virtue. And we can see in the case of Anattapindaka, he was one with a high level of sila. He usually lived in Sawati, but at one time he was visiting Rajagaha, visiting a friend, and his friend, Mentioned the word Buddha, and just upon hearing the word Buddha, Anattapindika felt an incredible rapture arise in his heart. And this is a word that he had not heard before. He didn't have previous knowledge of the Buddha or his dispensation. So, this arising of rapture and how Anattapindika felt upon hearing the word Buddha, we can consider this a great miracle because his friend that he was visiting had invited the Buddha for a meal at his home in Rajagaha. And so when Anattapindaka came to visit his friend, he saw that his friend didn't receive him warmly with as much attention as he usually did. And why is this? It's because his friend was very busy preparing to receive the Buddha. So when Anattapindaka went to his friend to find out the cause why his friend wasn't uh, receiving him as he normally did. His friend told him it's because the Lord Buddha is coming and I'm preparing for his meal invitation. So just upon hearing the word Buddha, Anattapindika had great rapture and happiness, uh, fullness arise in his heart to a great degree. And we can see to what level Anattapindika felt faith and rapture with the Buddha. In the case of Anattapindaka, upon returning to his home at Sawati, was very intent to offer a place for the Buddha to stay near Sawati so that he could have a chance to meet with the Buddha more and listen to Dhamma more. So this is what gave rise to Anattapindaka offering the Jetavana Monastery. And he was so motivated and intent to offer this land that he even covered over the entire property with gold pieces. And we can see that he named the monastery after someone other than himself, after Prince uh, Jeta. And we can see that Anattapindaka wasn't interested in having a famous name. He felt that the monastery could be named after anybody. All he really wanted was for the Buddha to come visit so he could see the Buddha and the Sintadhamma. So it was named after Prince uh, Jeta, and the word wana in Pali means forest. And it was a place that's very beautiful, very peaceful, very quiet. By day and by night, it was a suitable place for practice. And yet it was also not too far from the city, so people could visit uh, with convenience. And when Anatta listened to the Dhamma from the Buddha, he was able to realize stream entry, and, be, and then he was established as the foremost male lay supporter of our, our Buddha. And the Lord Buddha spent 19 rains retreats in Sawati, and this was the most rains retreats the Buddha spent at any specific location. So we can see Anattapindaka and Lady Visakha are two great examples from the Buddhist time. And for instance, Lady Wisaka, the foremost female lay supporter of the Buddha, she had realized stream entry ever since she was just seven years old. So for ourselves, we practice following in their footsteps. We can consider ourselves to be their descendants, their relatives, and their children or grandchildren of pindika and Lady Wisaka. We have faith and belief in the Buddha's dispensation, And faith in generosity well established in our hearts. And faith in the practice of sila, for instance, upholding the precepts on the lunar observance days or on the days we have off of work. And we're established in the five precepts as something that's normal for us. And on our days off, we can practice the eight precepts for at least one day. And we're firm in our practice of dhamma. Not just following after the ways of the world all the time, but following after the path of dhamma. For instance, Anattapindika was someone who had a great many duties and was very busy and involved with society. But he still found the time to practice dhamma, to pay respects to the sangha, to practice generosity and sila practice generosity as a normal habit for him. So now for ourselves in the present time, the Buddhist dispensation is still here, and we have a great good fortune, a great merit, a great parami that we can meet with the Buddhist dispensation. And having met with it, we build more parami, we build more merit, and we have motivation and energy well-established to practice generosity and sila. And we have the energy to practice mindfulness and wisdom, to improve our mindfulness and wisdom bit by bit. Because so we can see that materiality and mentality, our hearts are clinging to them as self uh, all the time. But the Buddha taught that all phenomena arise and pass away it's their nature to arise and pass away. And we may see the arising, but we don't see the passing away. We see it all as self, as me and mine. We see it in terms of sakaya personality view. We see it in terms of self. And the sakaya is something that's deeply embedded in the heart. And it's been deeply embedded in there for a very long time already. So the mind clings to things as self, as me and mine you and yours. And the mind clings in this way for sure, uh, attaches and clings like this. So we can say, well, how can we escape from this uh, deep habitual clinging? Well, initially we start with generosity and then virtue. We control the kilesas, the defilements, to a certain level through generosity and virtue. This makes the defilements weaker. And then we see that the mind is still thinking. The mind is busy and agitated constantly with greed, aversion, and delusion as its normal state. And we can see that a stream-enter is one who may get angry, but they don't indulge in thoughts of vengefulness or harming. So yes, there is anger in the mind of a stream-enter, but no harming, because a stream-enter sees that all beings must die all the same. So it's much better to build merit than to wish for harm. So we can see that anger is still present, but it's not as strong. Because the path, the power of the Sotapana path and fruit are controlling the kilesas to a degree. Greed, aversion and delusion uh, gradually decrease and one sees materiality and mentality as not-self through the power of path and fruit. And usually a deluded being is lost in the sense of self, whether in uh, acts of goodness or acts of unwholesomeness, uh, one clings to them as self. But when we know and see clearly, then the mind is able to let go of all materiality and mentality This brings the mind to true emptiness. So we need to practice in this way. Just like how the Lord Buddha taught Venerable Subhada that the first, second, third, and fourth type of renunciate, meaning the four stages of enlightenment, exist only in the dispensation of the Buddha. So we must practice to realize this. So we practice, and then it's possible for our doubts to be resolved, for our doubts to pass away. In the past, we may have clung to convention and clung in a very strong way, but then when we see truly, we see it's not self, then we're able to put down this clinging. But in the beginning, one attaches to everything as a self. So if we practice and we continue practicing we can see clearly uh, the truth. So we use this dhamma practice, and we keep practicing to reduce greed, aversion, and delusion. Because without practice, greed, aversion, and delusion just continually increase bit by bit, and we experience just suffering. And based on this greed, aversion, and delusion, one goes through the cycle of birth and death, the cycle of samsara, just on and on. And one can ask, well, when will it end? When will this suffering end? Even in this cycle of birth and death, that which is called happiness is really just a temporary reduction of suffering. So, therefore, we try to practice Dhamma. We have faith in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha to a certain degree faith which is sufficiently firm. So we practice samadhi, and we see when we practice sila that the mind is able to be cool and cools down a lot more than before. And with mindfulness and concentration well established, we can see that even a mind that's very hot can become incredibly cool through mindfulness and samadhi just like we're in a very cool weather, can feel very, very cool from this practice because of dhamma practice, then with this cool mind, then we can see clearly into conventions that all phenomena, everything, whether materiality or mentality, our own bodies are impermanent uh, suffering and not self. This can make the mind incredibly cool, giving rise to rapture and happiness because we see everything in the world is just a convention. We see the sun doesn't arise or the sun doesn't rise and the sun doesn't set. It's just a convention. The sun doesn't know that it's rising and the sun doesn't know that it's setting. It's just nature. It's just nature occurring. But the mind that proliferates says, oh, it's, it's this, oh, it's that. But the mind that is able to cease proliferating is able to realize freedom, vimuti. And the mind that realizes freedom is free from clinging and attachment, free from uh, attachment to all the sense impressions and moods. And one's able to bring the mind to emptiness. So when there is suffering in the mind, one continues to contemplate to bring the mind to emptiness. This is something that's possible. So we keep contemplating to give rise to this knowing, this knowing of true emptiness, and to see it clearly. And the mind that sees emptiness is able to know the way to practice dhamma. Having seen emptiness already, one knows the path clearly, and one knows that one must train the mind, train the mind in sila, samadhi, and panya, This is the path to emptiness, the path to cutting off the defilements, to giving rise to nirodha, cessation in the mind. And the mind that's gathered in samadhi then contemplates all outer phenomena as impermanent, stressful, and not-self. One brings in one's experience into the heart and sees it all as anicca, dukkha, anatta, One contemplates like this all the time. And if in the course of one's contemplation the mind is lost in busyness and thinking, then one comes back to one's uh, samadhi practice, such as looking at the in and out breathing, contemplating death, contemplating emptiness. Whatever it is, one practices to bring the mind to unification, to bring the mind to peace not to just simply let the mind go into busyness and proliferation. Because even in a single day, the mind proliferates to a great deal, a great degree about one's work, one's home, one's friends and relatives, and so on. This is all in the world of convention. And one never sees the mind stop proliferating. One never sees the mind that is still because one hasn't practiced. So if one doesn't practice, then one's mind can't go to freedom, one can't see clearly into not self because the mind doesn't have enough strength without mindfulness and concentration. So without this strength, without this mindfulness, then one simply clings. Greed, aversion, and delusion arise. So therefore one must practice One must put forth effort and one must uh, find the time to practice even if we have a lot of work and duties we also practice as well we practice uh, according to our situation we do the five precepts or the eight precepts such as uh, as on a saturday or a sunday and in uh, a one month period or a 15 day period One tries to do the eight precepts at least one day. And one establishes generosity and sila as a normal habit for one's mind. And then one practices mindfulness in all postures throughout the day, not just at the monastery. One can practice mindfulness when one is at home. One can keep a watch over the mind. So may you have effort in this. Uh, Don't give up. Build your patient endurance. Have effort in building mindfulness and sampajanya, clear comprehension. Make your mindfulness and clear comprehension good and well-established. And in this, in this way, your mind will develop bit by bit, just like uh, drops of water. When the drops of water become more and more frequent, the drops of water combine into a continuous stream. This is just like mindfulness in our dhamma practice. When mindfulness becomes more frequent, then mindfulness becomes like a continuous stream. And then mindfulness at this point is well-established and continuous. So may you practice samadhi and mindfulness every day. And if you miss out on this single day of practice, you'll feel the lack of this practice in your heart, you'll feel something lacking. Just like if a day goes by without eating, you'll feel hungry. And if one sits in meditation and just feels agitation, then then one will will notice this difference compared to when one practices continuously. Because when one's practice of mindfulness is firm and well-established, and samadhi arises, then the mind can become very light. One can feel full and happy in one's heart. And this is a fruit of sitting in meditation every day. So in the beginning, uh, practice like this, practice every single day without ceasing, contemplate every day. In this, in this way, one builds one's parami to be able to see all conditions, all phenomena, arising and passing, arising and passing. In this way, one sees impermanent stress and not-self clearly. One sees that in all the worlds, all these conditions are simply impermanent, stressful and not-self. And one sees this not as a word or a concept, but one sees it directly in one's mind as a direct experience. One sees all materiality as impermanent. It's all constantly degrading, constantly passing away, uh, constantly disintegrating. And the mind that is clinging to personality view, to rites and rituals, and to skeptical doubt, the first three fetters, one's able to cut off these first three fetters And one sees the drawbacks in the endless cycle of birth and death. And seeing the drawbacks, one sees or seeks a way out. One wants to find a way out of this predicament of endless birth and death. One sees the chaos and agitation here and sees it like a fire, like everything's on fire with old age, on fire with illness, on fire with death. One sees it all as suffering, as dukkha. And given this, one seeks a way out of this predicament. And the way out is found within our own hearts. The way out of this predicament uh, is in our own hearts. So therefore, we must practice dhamma in order to cut off attachment clinging, to cut off the first three fetters. And the path out of this burning house is just this path of practice. Uh, That's the way out of the burning house. So one gives rise to wisdom, one develops the path, and one does this continuously. And one practices, perhaps for many years, and practicing in this way for many years, one can see the mind progress. This is the mind that is entering into the Buddha's dispensation, going from the leaves to the bark to the softwood and to the heartwood of the Buddha's dispensation. And then one day, one is able to realize uh, tatanga vimuti, uh, temporary liberation from all suffering. One sees in truth that there's no me and mine, you are yours. And the seeing clearly into liberation is truly a miracle of dhamma. Having seen clearly in this way, one's faith becomes even stronger. One sees clearly in one's faith and the Buddha comes more and more, and one's faith in Dhamma practice is stronger as well. Because one is seen for oneself in one's own heart, and one knows for oneself the way out. And knowing for oneself the way out of samsara, therefore one is very intent and sets one's heart on building merit and goodness. One has faith and practices generosity continuously. One has faith to practice sila, to establish sila very firmly in one's heart, and one practices continuously without stopping. So practice in this way. This is the path of the sotapana, the sotapana maga. May you be firm in walking this path. The one who's seen clearly like this has achara sata, unwavering faith then as one continues walking this path, one's able to see again clearly through the power of sila, samadhi, and panya. The mind gathers together, and one sees clearly into not-self. One sees all materiality and mentality as impermanent suffering and not-self. One sees clearly. And this is the development of the mind to the point where there's no doubt about the Buddha. One doesn't doubt that the Buddha exists because one has seen the Buddha in one's own heart. And one can look around the world and see things clearly as convention, that people walking about, for instance, are just like uh, puppets. One just sees it all as, in terms of convention and liberation, one sees clearly. So one sees in this dhamma practice that one gets real fruits from the practice, So right now, one's bodily health, one's breath, one's body is strong and healthy. So may you practice dhamma continuously. May you develop and prosper in your dhamma practice. May you have happiness and prosperity. May you continually develop merit and goodness. May you have long life, happiness, uh, beauty, and strength. And with this life that one has, or may you have everything in completeness and have all things that one needs. So may you be well and may you grow in dhamma.